The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. What will happen to the episode now? The Council has granted me permission to reschedule you. You will be listener of the Dark Times podcast, I promise. Hello and welcome back to the Dark Times, a saga edition podcast. I'm Sam, your Jedi Knight who recently finished his trials. And I'm your favorite burgeoning young child with a cursed destiny. Yeah, but what's your name? I'm Steven. <laughs> we could just do it like that. I like that. That's great. Yeah, it's funny. Steven, we have a rare one. I've got a question from Ryan on Patreon. Oh boy. All right, let's hear it. Uh, Ryan said, I have a rule slash GM question for you guys. How long is a round? For example, a smoke grenade lasts 10 rounds. So if each turn is six seconds and six people in initiative, then each round would be 36 seconds. But the same situation with 10 people would make it one minute per round. I only ask being it can change how many turns are affected by hazards and such. Is this just a 2023 GM fiat with heated seats kind of thing? (laughs) I'm glad you asked, Ryan. Yeah, seriously. Good question. Uh, Turn... And round time fuckery can be confusing, and and it's definitely not elucidated in the saga book. I I don't think very much, probably not more than a paragraph or two. This was 2007, Stephen. We were in peak tabletop game. This was tabletop game heaven. Precisely. Everyone knew. We all knew. You die in the battlefield, you take a seat next to the throne of Rodney Thompson in Valhalla, and that each round takes six seconds. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Sam's right. The D20 role playing was not ubiquitous at this point, and everyone was pretty much on the same page when they sat down and, and wrote Swissy. Um, Ryan, I, I, I looked over your math. I think you are counting each turn as like a sequential period of time, which is how we run it on the initiative tracker. But in the game realm, the assumption is that all turns occur simultaneously on the same time scale. So if it worked how you're suggesting time would move faster, the more people that are in a room and that, that's terrifying. That's some twilight zone, <laughs> like, like Matt Damon in space, uh, interstellar I shit. It's a Justin Timberlake movie about that. Exactly. That? <laughs> exactly. Um, but no, uh, Ryan, uh, around is six seconds and around happens simultaneously. And we just have turns because how the fuck else could we organize it and still have fun? I think this raises a good conversation about doing things that make sense story-wise to be longer than six seconds in a round and just kind of juggling, keeping all those balls in the air as a game master versus, oh, realism versus player enjoyment. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, you can try and faint, but you can only say something that fits in six seconds. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's perhaps the loosest, most fluid and flexible six seconds in the universe uh, when when we think about how people actually use their turns. In, in Swissy and just, you know, tabletop RPGs in general. But yes, Ryan, I hope that answer your question. A round is a is is a one period of six seconds for every turn in that round. It's not six seconds per turn. It's six seconds per round. I hope that distinction. Yeah, no matter how many turns are in yeah, that round. Precisely. Um, I, I hope that clarifies. Uh, I, hope that, I hope that clarifies things a bit. Um, we'll have to get into like, you know quantum entanglement and, and time science. If, <laughs> if you keep asking me about, about this. So. <laughs> Steven, how come things slow down when you're in danger? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I brought it to the podcast front because I thought that it was a good question to answer on a whole scale. Cause yeah, it's a good sanity check. Absolutely. There's been times where I've been like totally mind fucked by just trying to think about how like turns should work in the game. Um, it, it's definitely not to be thought of 
terribly deeply. Looks like we got some feedback from Lil Literalist on Reddit. Uh, he says, one shots are probably the best time to use rolling as a method for generating ability scores. I agree. That's probably the only time I would use rolling just because you can get some really funny combinations. Oh, yeah. I got three eights <laughs> and a six. <laughs> Very fun, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> he continues. I didn't do it in mind because I thought it might be more problematic to organize in a short time. Good call. But one shots are a great opportunity to shake things up. I think that rather than the GM trying to include reluctant players, they should put the onus on the player themselves, assuming they're not a complete newbie. Steven's talking about, and that's little literalist Steven, not me, Steven. Same name. Who to thunk? There's a lot of people who still think we're the same person, by the way. Sam, I don't know. If really? You know. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not familiar. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's really funny. There's also a lot of people that don't know which of us is Sam and which of us is Steven. Really? Yeah. yeah. Like, well, even I mean, though we say it every episode. I, hey, you know, doesn't mean they're listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. W- w- they just put us on for like the dog. Yeah. While they go exactly. out on their walks and stuff. <laughs> Yo, that dog is going to be really good at Swissy. <laughs> And they come back and their their dog is built a level 19 Grandmaster Jedi and <laughs> learned nothing from this podcast. But yeah, attendance aside, Steven's talking about that that one old friend of ours, uh, old friend's a strong word, about how they made a, a purposefully combative and disengaged uh, player. And, you know, we, we I was talking about this with our friends who, who played that one shot with us. That same character, like, initiated PvP without mutual consent on... on Many separate occasions, at least once with every other member of that party. I'm glad I blacked out during those moments because I don't <laughs> have any of this committed to memory. I, I guess, you know, there's just more important stuff to save in my brain. Lil Literless is right, though. The, the onus is on the player to be engaged and, and, you know, enjoyable to be around. It was a newer GM and uh, this player was not a new player. But um, gosh, is there such a thing as like noob at, at social situations <laughs> or like... They were an introverted player. Uh, introvert doesn't even really even begin to describe that person. If this isn't um, a psychology po- podcast. That's true. Steven, that's this true. is the Dark Times podcast. Let's move on. Yeah, let's move on. Sam, I wanted to talk about uh, another module uh, this week. I, I like talking about modules on the pod. I, I think they're kind of a good vehicle to talk about all the other sort of stuff we love to talk about. Game running, encounter balance, character building. Uh, and, and so uh, here we are. We've, we've got a, another, the only other CL12 module in official Swissydom, the only other one being Wanted Alive that we've covered before on the podcast, a personal favorite of mine. Uh, this is from Galaxy of Intrigue. It's called Extracting Elise. Elise on what? Elise <laughs> on life. And extracting a new lease on life. That sounds great. This sounds very, oh, this is going to be relaxing, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's, it's a very relaxing adventure. Go ahead. Kick your feet up, uh, dear listener. Get, get yourself some, some uh, a beverage of your choice. Get ready for some basket weaving yeah. in this one. Yeah, you know? it's a That's CL12 a lot- basket weaving <laughs> adventure. It's really hard Skill patterns. challenge, weave a basket. <laughs> <laughs> that would actually be a really interesting skill challenge uh, for a party or a player. Make them have to perform some sort of skill that, like practical skill, like basket weaving that their character absolutely does not know. Blend into a culture or appreciate yeah. a culture. They have to spy on, on win the- favor. That's like, that's like letting the Ewoks braid your hair. You know, that was a, that was a skill challenge for Leia <laughs> Roll to not be disgusted by little Ewok hands in your hair. <laughs> yum, yum, yum. <laughs> ah! <Yeah. laughs> 
Because like she doesn't speak their language. No, no. <laughs> That's great. So uh, I'll just read the background from the book here. I, I thought about writing my own little synopsis, but uh, I forgot these all come printed with a, a pretty good one. So there's no point. Reading from Galaxy of Intrigue. Agent Telen Elise is a well-placed rebel spy within the Empire. She is, in fact, the niece of Moff Venram Crax, who is temporarily located on Corellia. Throughout her long-standing secret association with the Rebel Alliance, she has provided vital information on Imperial procedures and activities. Recently, through her spy network, she contacted General Aeon Kraken with the potentially grave news. She believes that someone has become suspicious of her and that her cover might soon be blown. Kraken seems certain that Elise would not have contacted him unless she were in real trouble. Time is of the essence. The heroes are asked to undertake what might end up being a suicide mission. Few agent retrievals go as planned, especially behind Imperial lines. However, General Kraken believes that the importance of rescuing Agent Elise is worth the risk. Before they travel to Corellia, the heroes are outfitted with the necessary tools. An intelligence agent provides each hero with a security uniform, along with a forged identification that includes ship and weapon licenses. The group is also loaned a standard-issue Fire Spray 31 patrol craft. Finally, the intelligence agent gives the heroes an Imperial security code that is supposed to get them to Corellia without incident. The heroes are ordered to retrieve undercover Agent Elise and bring her back by any means necessary. Imagine you're in the debriefing for this mission, right? And the whole time you're fucking sweating bullets. And then at the end, they're like, oh, yeah. Here's the security code to get you in. I'd be like, oh, fuck. Why didn't you lead with that? <laughs> Here's what I would fucking since we're throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks with this podcast. Uh, Don't say I would that. make it. No, no. I personally I haven't read the rest of this, Stephen. Personally, I'd make him clean up crew. Just <laughs> like you know, like, oh, you don't get you don't get officer uniforms. You get like janitor uniforms. <laughs> so, yeah, Sam, that's actually I, I kind of wanted to stop at every step of this adventure and, and discuss like different ways you could tweak it to your taste or your style. Just just whatever you wanted. Playing with the undercover aspect of this is, is a fantastic idea. First off, by cleanup crew, I thought you meant like send the party in to kill Elise before she's <laughs> discovered <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. That's also, you know, if if you can't pull her out, if they torture her, the information she has, you know, secret where the rebel bases are, you know. That seems kind of cruel for rebels. <laughs> I, I think you could still run that if you want to do kind of a darker. I mean, we, we play with kind of the darker side of like the rebel insurgency our, ourselves in our game. That's that's something that, that may be discussed in, in our campaign. But I think like that's like if your superior officer is like Saw Gerrera. You know? Yeah, like exactly. That, if you're if you want to flip this where the party's Imperial or the party is like Saw Gerrera's goons, uh, the partisans, I believe you can absolutely change it to cleanup crew, whether that is janitor <laughs> uniforms or, you know, full on commando gear to take Elise out covertly before she's discovered. Both are, are great twists on this adventure, I think. Now hear me out. What? Now hear me out. What? We're low on fabric. You're going to have to wear a gonk droid as a costume <laughs> and See, sneak in. That's some silly shit that you would do <laughs> and is also a, a valid option if, if you're a bit of a silly head like Sam is. Yeah. I wanted to say, Sam, you could probably see why I chose this adventure. Intrigue and spies and uh, deep, oh, we love them. intense suicide extraction missions deep behind enemy lines in the core world. I mean, come on. This is this is my personal bread and butter. This is the exact kind of shit I love. And uh, I think you'll see, Sam, uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but as far as modules go, this one's actually very complete and very fleshed out 
uh, compared to the usual fare. So the next section is the arrival, and I'll read it here. When the heroes arrive in orbit around Corellia, they are immediately spotted by a small fleet led by an Imperial One-class Star Destroyer. A flight officer aboard the Star Destroyer contacts the heroes requesting their destination and purpose. The heroes must make a deception check opposed by the officer's perception skill, plus 15, to attempt a bluff. They might tell the officer that they're on assignment for Corsac. Regardless, the officer requests an Imperial security code before allowing the heroes to enter Corellian space. If they present the code supplied by Alliance Intelligence, there's a pause as they wait. When the officer returns on screen, he tells the heroes, it's an older code, but it checks out. Let's pause real quick. Is there anything else Imperial officers say? Like, yeah, that's, that is verbatim Return of the Jedi. Like, come on. Listen, that, listen, no, this, Stephen, we're seeing this as lazy. This is the how I cover my ass statement. Like, oh, if I get in trouble, I'll be like, oh, no, it was an older code, though. It checked out, but it checked out. <laughs> So you better take it up with code, you know, codes management down in the B sector and see what they have to do with it. <laughs> the officer also tells the party, uh, proceed to docking bay 49. Do not deviate from your present course or you will be fired upon. So look, Sam, look, it's that we have a rock solid modifier and when to roll it from the module. Can you believe it? How, how many modules actually have that? That is strange. Yeah, that is strange. <laughs> Sure makes it easy, though, just not even bothering to print out a whole ass stat block here, just saying, yep, officer's here, his perception skills one is 1d20 plus 15 opposed by the party's deception. Like, thank God. No, Steven, I need the CL9 stat block for the officer, and I need three CL6 stat blocks for the engineers in his base who are also <laughs> hearing the conversation, and then I need a CL5 stat block for the secretary who's recording the conversation as well. Um... Anymore. Can I give the, the, the Star Destroyer stat blocks as well? They, they just came out of a battle, so they're going to have different. <laughs> it's you wouldn't get it, Stephen. You have to be a real, you know, you got to get up early to pull one past me. You said this was Stephen. You said this was a complete module. What the fuck are you talking about? Does it include the 30 prerequisite stat blocks to staff a Star Destroyer? <laughs> yeah. Um. What's the crew quality on the Star Destroyer? Um <laughs> Jokes aside, feel free to play with that 1d20 plus 15 for the officer's perception skill. I got a few examples here for things you might tweak. If you want to use the skill challenge slash job generator DC tables uh, for a CL 12 to 13 medium challenge, the table suggests a DC 26, which is actually just damn near the average roll on 1d20 plus 15. So, you know. Oh, instead of doing opposed checks. Exactly. I, personally, okay. I don't like opposed checks for this sort of situation because... I know what happens when I do a post checks in these situations. I roll a one <laughs> you and the party. Yeah, yeah. I either roll a nat one or a nat 20 and you know, that's, that's where things go. But I, so I prefer a static DC for, for like, I would treat this as a skill challenge because it is just a very simple one. So I would throw in the DC 26 there because mathematically it's going to be the same as the one D 20 plus 15. And I don't, <laughs> I like to leave the random chance to the players. I like my side of the GM screen to be a, a, a lot more predictable for, for my sake. Stable. Yeah. For an easier challenge, perhaps closer to CL5 or 7, try 1d20 plus 10 or a DC of 21 to 23. This adventure is actually, it's a CL12 adventure as published, but can be very easily scaled down, I think. Uh, so, you know, uh, keep, keep an eye on that as we move in further to the adventure. If you're a stickler for stat blocks, like Sam alluded to earlier... <laughs> You can use a Star Destroyer Officer. That's a CL5 stat block from the web uh, supplement, a miniature preview, I believe. 
perception is plus 10 as well. Defense is 19. So, you know, if, if you're the kind of guy who needs every step block for everyone in the situation, go ahead and consider that. If the heroes fail the deception check to bluff the flight officer, he notifies his commander and he suspects something is off kilter. As a result, the docking bay, keep that in mind, will have extra security to keep an eye on the heroes. So notice, Sam, this is not a fail, turnaround, eh, tractor beam, mission over, you're done sort of situation. I don't reload my save from yeah. right to right before. No, the party's allowed to fail here <laughs> without any immediate consequences, but it is going to bolster a later encounter. And if you pay close attention, you'll see exactly which one. What's great about this is the party knows they rolled really badly. Yes. Or they rolled averagely and they're unsure. Yes. So they're going to be more on edge as well, especially when you'd be like, yeah, there's maybe... 10 to 12 stormtroopers and if someone rolls a galactic lore they're like oh this is not usual for a docking bay usually it's like five or six <laughs> yeah not to mention as you'll see soon this is you know garrison for the presence of, of protecting a moth so you kind of have free lease to to go off the rails here and again at, towards the end of the module I, i've included some of my own touches that that will help emulate that feel a bit the next segment of the adventure is called making contact and i'm again i'm reading from the book here the heroes need to make contact with Tel and Elise at the predetermined rendezvous point. She informs them that she cannot leave Corellia until after the birthday and dinner party for her uncle, Moff Cracks, planned for that evening. If she were absent, suspicions would arise and armed guards would be sent to find her. She tells the heroes that a human named Snabe Franck is her escort for the party. <laughs> Elise believes that he knows of her espionage activities and might report her. She asks the heroes to pose as her personal security guards to protect her from Franck and her uncle's guards. Sam, do you know why I chose this adventure? I can think of two reasons. Yeah. One is the name Snabe Franck. I just... Oh, that was both my reasons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was it reason one Snabe, reason two Franck? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Franck before Snabe, Stephen. Let's behave. <laughs> Fucking Christ. Yeah, um, I, I chose this. This adventure stood out to me because that NPC name was just too fucking funny to pass Snape up. Snape Frank. And then I read oh the rest and I was like, oh, this is actually a really cool adventure. Do you think he's like a snooty French, like, <laughs> imperial wait, 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 wait. guy? I am the Snape Frank. I'm Snape Frank. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. There's uh, our French audience, Steve, and all three of them. Oh, <laughs> sayonara. Au revoir, I think. Uh, no, I think it's adios. <laughs> Play this part up with your setting dressing. This is literally just, you know, that this is the screen wipe to the senator's apartment on, on you know, on Coruscant in the prequels. That's what this is. Uh, play it up with your setting dressing. Describe a night of elegance in a vibrant city framed by a grand sunset. Describe the cool night air tinged by industrial pollutants and pleasant perfumes of potted plants in long, elegant tenement hallways. Make it, make it nice. This is Corellia. But I always I imagine this is like you're in a nice part of Corellia. Oh, these are the people that like own parts of Corellia. Yeah, this is this is a soiree. This is a Moff's birthday dinner, like gala. Can like, I throw a curveball at you, Steven? Go ahead. And you're gonna catch this curveball because you love this curveball. Okay. Masquerade ball. Ooh, you know I love a good masquerade. It, is it a, doesn't say it there. No, but it doesn't. Isn't it, it so much better to make it one? And and you know that Moff is probably a little bit of a freak, so you, you know that he'd probably be down <laughs> for a masquerade. <laughs> Um, a several eyes wide shot event. <laughs> yeah. Um, masquerades are a TTRPG staple, at least on our table. It yeah. Is. I mean, we've done at least three, I think. I mean, it's, it's a good opportunity to get people to dress up and, 
you know, throwing some anonymity to a party they otherwise aren't supposed to be here. Obviously, in this adventure, they are like supposed to be security guards that are supposed to look like they're here. So maybe they don't participate in a masquerade, but there's one happening anyway. Maybe you switch it up and they are, you know, instead of security documents, they're given invitations and they can sneak in that way. Any way you want to do it. I've done that exact thing twice. and and we love you for it thank you maybe instead of being bodyguards to the moth's niece maybe they have to sneak in infiltrate and take out the uh, escort oh yeah that's a good place yeah that's that is a good twist for the uh the cleanup crew variant you described at the top of the show (laughs) is uh their guests of the masquerade and part of their infiltration is is eliminating and replacing the uh the escort for elise uh, and that's about it. I mean, for that, it, this is like a subheader of a subheader. So that's that's all there is. But then moving on to almost caught. The heroes stand guard outside Elise's quarters as she readies for her uncle's party. Oh, by the way, I wanted to say we're going to run through the whole module. Uh, this one doesn't like have a twist that we can leave as a cliffhanger for next week. It, it's pretty straightforward, actually, which is good. You'll see. Her escort for the night, Snabe Frank, arrives and soon reveals his suspicions, asking her several heated questions. And then there's a read loud where Snape basically like screams at her. I know what you are. You're a traitor to the empire. He says he hits her too. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah, it does. Oh my God. To prevent the situation. Not my Snape. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like what? Great. Honest. I, I chose a controversial fave on oh, whatever. God damn it. Can't have anything anymore. To prevent the situation from escalating further, the heroes can enter Elise's quarters to silence Frank or otherwise detain him a relatively easy task for 12th level characters. A successful persuasion check to intimidate Frank against his will defense of 13 causes him to back down from the confrontation. Uh, quick note, the, the module understandably does not provide a stat block for Frank. I think it's safe to assume that he's just your average non-heroic guy. There's there's not much going on here with a will defense of 13. The, you don't need a stat block for Frank. I Look at me. Look at me. I know who you are. I know what you're thinking. You don't need a stat block for Frank. You don't fucking need... A stat block for Frank. A single attack. He's got 10 hit points. Yeah, a single (laughs) attack from a level 12 character with any weapon will crumble this guy. Okay? If you really need a stat block for Frank, I don't know. Pick one. Like (laughs) (laughs) Thug. Yeah. CL0 thug. Yeah, there you go. Are you happy now? Great. You've got all this text for CL0 thug. But again, this module is nice keeping it bare bones, keeping it kiss. Just gives you as well defense for someone to go in there and intimidate him into silence, which is what I think a reasonable person would do. But as we know, players are not quite reasonable <laughs> all the time. With another successful persuasion check to intimidate him, the heroes learn that Frank has not actually revealed his suspicions about Elise to Moff Cracks or the Moff's guards. He was bluffing to frighten her. What a guy, huh? However, Frank did share his doubts with a few Imperial officers over a round of drinks at the cantina last night. All right, so, yep, turns out Snape is a total dick. That's my bad. I would fully expect players to outright kill Snape here, so just look out for that. This action cannot be undone, continue? Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Um, I know if I was a player, depending on the character, I would, especially if I heard him, like, you know, hitting <laughs> the target we're supposed to be uh, supposed to be protecting, uh, Yeah, I, I would definitely be coming in, you know, guns blazing. Bronx Snaping. Snape. <laughs> God. I would come in Frank Snabing. You should expect players to kill Snape, uh, but killing him may have consequences. He, uh, that may alert local authorities. They may detect violence on, on the floor. They might bolster security presence at the party or perhaps delay or cancel the party altogether. Consider these options if, if players get a little too violent. 
Oh no, Steven. Players got a little too violent. There's extra security from them failing that deception check at the beginning of the at the beginning of the adventure. Yeah. What do we do? They're outnumbered, they're outgunned. They oh, they don't have their weapons. They got checked in with the coat check. <laughs> stupid stupid coat and gun check. Always what do the they coat do? And gun check. Well, Steven, you kill them. You TPK, just kill them right there. You know, they get killed by random stormtroopers and that's it. Yikes. No, no, oh, fucking oh. obviously not. No, shut up. You take prisoners. You always take prisoners. It's always an option. Maybe something to emphasize at the start of the adventure during the mission briefing where, you know, General Kraken's like, hey, remember, this is rebel intelligence. Uh, take prisoners whenever possible. That might be a good hint to give early on for this encounter now. Oh, the players take prisoners. Yeah. I was talking about like the Imperials taking them as prisoners instead oh, of killing them. Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay, yeah. I, I like I see. both sides of that coin, though. It works on both ends, absolutely. The players should be encouraged to take Snape as a prisoner because obviously he has valuable information about the current stat. Like, if, if they just kill Snape, they don't know who knows about Elise. That's, they don't know which officers specifically know it, about her. Exactly. Yeah, um, but yes, exactly. You probably also shouldn't TPK your party here. Definitely not over this. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not over killing one scumbag. Uh, but yeah. Oh, God, they killed one dude. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, better, we better murder all five of them. <laughs> Man. So once that's taken care of, we're on to dine and dash the final leg of the module here. Uh, the birthday and dinner. Sorry, I'm reading from Galaxy of Intrigue again. The birthday and dinner party for Moff Venrum Crack seems like the perfect gala. Everything a Moff could gala. want. Gala. No, it's gala. It's both. But I'll say Is it gala. Both? Yeah. I'll say gala. Oh, tell you oh. what. I'll say gala because I said gala earlier. The birthday and dinner party for Moff Venrum Cracks seems like the perfect gala. Everything a Moff could want. Fine clothes, fancy desserts, rich foods, and the smell of perfumes permeating the air. A live synth tone band plays in one corner as dancers spin across the floor. The heroes continue playing their roles as security guards while the nobles hobnob, eat, and dance. Elise does an excellent job of pretending that nothing is wrong, going about her usual business of meeting and greeting other nobles, dancing with men of standing, and flirting when necessary. At an appropriate point during the party, read the following text aloud. After what seems like hours of lingering in the doorways, you notice something suspicious. An officer goes over to Moff Crax and whispers something in his ear. At first, Crax appears to try and shoo him away, you know, but the officer seems too intent to be brushed off. I don't know why the officer Crax or Moff Crax is Waluigi here, but let's roll with that. <laughs> Talon Elise notices the situation, too. Perhaps out of desperation, she signals one of the male heroes over to her and begins dancing with him. When the music slows, she pulls him close and whispers in his ear to get ready to run. This part is so funny to me. Suddenly, Elise slaps him hard across the face. How dare you, she yells. I told you to behave once already. Men are such vronskers. She starts to cry real tears, putting on a show of sobbing as she storms out of the dinner party. Okay, so I roll initiative. <laughs> We're in combat now. She's attacking me. Uh, yeah, you took um, uh, Steven. My my reflex defense is thirty two. <laughs> no fucking way she hits me. You know there would be a player that would like that would be like, but my reflex is thirty two. Like, there's no way she can hit me. I'm not flat footed, am I? If that happened to me, I'd be like, no, yeah, she not 20 and you take six damage. Like, she not 20. 
She knocks you down one step on the condition track. Actually, your neck breaks. Being emasculated takes you down one step on the condition track. (laughs) We should make a, we should homebrew a feat called emasculate, Sam. Yeah. (laughs) Is that really necessary? Like, (laughs) is that really necessary? Back to the ship. When Elise leaves the party, the heroes are likely to follow her out the door and begin their trek to the Fire Spray 31. Uh, you know, that's that's Boba Fett's ship, right, Sam? Yeah, except they call it Boba Fett's ship now. <laughs> you you always bring it up, don't you? I think it's I just think it's funny when you look at the Lego box and it just says Boba Fett's ship. <laughs> yeah, I love when Boba Fett takes the the, you know, his, his bounties back to Boba Fett's ship. <laughs> and flies them away in his Boba Fett what, ship. Wait, is that what it says on like the the the, 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 the transponder? No, I'm just I'm just riffing. Oh, but yeah, like whose ship is that? Here's like, oh, it's Boba Fett's ship flying through. God, unidentified Boba Fett's ships. There you are. <laughs> Man, oh, that's good. Two guards stand just outside the door. The heroes must make a deception check against the guards' perception check, plus 15, to determine whether their guises continue to be successful. If the heroes succeed at the check, the guards nod at them, but otherwise do nothing. If the heroes fail the check, they can try to do or say something to ease the guards' suspicions by making a DC-26 knowledge bureaucracy check. What does that sound like? Like, oh, don't you know? The laws of Corellia prevent you from apprehending me without a permit! I guess the idea is that you prove that you're some sort of nobility of Corellia that deserves yeah. to be there. Like, don't you understand? I, I've got 30 shipyards this week alone. You got them to what? Don't ask, don't ask questions. <laughs> I should. Do you know who you're talking to? That's the Lord. That's Lord Vornscare. <laughs> Lord Vornscare. <laughs> Lord Vornscare of men. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Lord men are such <laughs> of born <to> scare. <laughs> All right. <laughs> if that check also fails, the guards sound the alarm and try to apprehend the heroes. When the heroes are close to their ship, they realize that their docking bay, number 49, is swarming with heavy stormtroopers. Elise suggests that they take her uncle's personal shuttle instead, which is docked in bay 46. She claims to have access codes and some experience flying the shuttle that she gained while taking trips with her uncle. And Sam, I included it for you here on our notes. Actually, a pretty nice battle map. Take a look That's at it. It's not bad. No, not at all. There's a decent amount of cover. It shows you exactly where the enemies should go. There's actually civilians in this encounter as well. And, and it shows where those should go as well. Pretty cool. Is this, are these docking bays like right next to each other? I guess so. Like when I imagine docking bays, I imagined like distinct rooms that are connected. These are like landing pads. These are like literal bays, I guess. Yeah. I guess, yeah. Like these that. are like yeah. adjacent landing pads. And the, the module actually tells you, it, it assigns each of these docking bays a number and tells you what's in them precisely, which I, I thought was really cool. Very, very detailed encounter for a Swissy module. I, I love to see it. That's well, this one's well marked too, Steven. Is this on the wiki anywhere? Yeah, it's on the wiki. That's where I got okay, it. Okay, so we'll, we'll link to this. I'm yeah. glad it's got S, uh, it's got S for shuttle. Yep. And for stormtroopers, it's got T. Yeah. <laughs> Not really sure. A trooper, I guess. TK, I guess. Yeah, TK. Trooper and troop. What does TK stand for? Trooper and number? Trooper <laughs> <With> the K? <laughs> yeah, the, the silent K number. Way to go. <laughs> Uh, so this encounter has Taylor and Elise, who is a CL7 ally to the party. Her step block's actually pretty cool. 
anytime you want a nice, like maybe unique Imperial intelligence uh, agent that's supposed to stand out a bit and has some pilot uh, gumption, use use Talon. She's she's really good. She's on the wiki, too. Nice. Uh, four civilians, three Imperial guards. That actually does not refer to a specific um, stat block that exists. So maybe just a generic security guard stat block will work. I think. Hold on. Let me check. Is that is that a thing? It's not like the Imperial guards, right? Like the red dudes. No, it does not mean those. I was about to say, I, I think, no fucking yeah. way. It's the red dudes. In like, the context is- <laughs> of of the adventure, it definitely means like a normal security guard. But you know, That's whatever. Funny. Uh, yeah, use the generic security guard stat block here if you want to. That's CL one though, so you know, maybe not. Uh, and six heavy stormtroopers, and then also lists the fire spray and the lambda class as part of the uh, part of the encounter. I like that the fire spray is included in this because it's still an option for the players. Yeah, the players can still just, I mean, Talon wants to get to the shuttle. You're able to, allegedly, you have the option, but you can still bust into your fire spray if you wanted to. And if check that sick paint job on the fire spray there, Sam. I see some orbesh oh, yeah. around the side that I actually have not gone to the trouble of translating and fucking flames, like flame decals. It says baby girl. That's weird. <laughs> It's a, it's the last one we had. <laughs> <laughs> the rebel command. That's my personal baby. <laughs> Holy shit. That's so funny. Not a scratch. Oh, Not a scratch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's good. So this encounter is pretty good. Uh, it's classic. This won't take very long to resolve because it's, I mean, it's three guards and six heavy stormtroopers. It'd be pretty fun here. It also says that there's three TIE fighters come ripping out of nowhere and and you have you also are expected to do a little bit of a vehicle encounter with them it doesn't provide a map for that or any specifics other than it just tries to um dogfight the the players as they escape wait steven what six heavy stormtroopers and three imperial guards you said the guard stat block is like cl2 the basic security guard stat block is cl1 cl1 and the heavy stormtroopers are cl2 yes what the fuck is this weak ass encounter? <laughs> exactly. Why? Why is our CL twelve adventure capped off with like a a level one party's encounter? Why? I I just it doesn't feel we haven't hit that climax. There isn't really like where's the resolution, Steven? Well, like, this is this is like Luke, Han, Chewie, and Leia fleeing the Death Star, except Obi Wan doesn't die. Yes, like there's no like there's no moment here. It's just like oh, get on the ship quick. <laughs> a level 12 party would absolutely blow through this like wet tissue paper. There's absolutely uh, no real reason to run it as it is, unless it is like you're four and a half hours into this adventure somehow already and just want to wrap it up. But luckily, dear listener, you know me, you know who I am. You know what I love. I'm a big niche head and I adjusted this encounter for what I think is a more appropriate difficulty, something that they'll actually remember. For those of you who don't know, Nietzsche is the author of a document that brings Pathfinder's XP budget encounter building system to Swissy. It provides far more structure and balance and overall just sanity to encounter building in Swissy. And I use it constantly. So prevalent, we have a whole episode about it. Indeed. So you got a party of four at level 12 plus a level seven buddy. That actually is an XP budget of 12,375. I didn't have quite enough time I wanted to throw to something together truly robust, but you could throw four elite stormtrooper squads in here. Those are CL8 each and from Dawn of Defiance. And two ATSTs. Sam, 
Do you think a moth would spare any expense for security at his party? Think about it this way, Stephen. They're kidnapping his niece. They're kidnapping his niece. You're in the core world, baby. They don't fuck around in here, okay? (laughs) Every moth in the fucking core world is itching for the chance to deploy two ATSTs for no reason. (laughs) And, you know, I won't go into too specific of the calculations, but our niche budget actually allows for quite more. Like, you could throw in a third ATST here and still be good to go. Instead of that, I might throw in the TIE fighters that are mentioned later in the module and put them in here. Maybe have them come by and do some some airstrikes every now and then because you're kidnapping his fucking niece. (laughs) I mean, and definitely take a look at that map. Think a little harder about it. Sprinkle in some more cover. uh, Reduce your sight lines a little bit. And that and with the amped up encounter, the elite stormtrooper squads and ATSTs, you've got something truly special here, I think. Can I pitch something? Yes. Maybe some stormtroopers pull out an anti-vehicle gun and start t- and, and like just fucking take out the Lambda class as soon as they're almost there. Yes. One of the stormtrooper squads should have some Plex rockets, I think, for blasting vehicles. And I forgot to mention, as we all know, the Dream Plant rotation is two stormtroopers. <laughs> oh, sorry. Three stormtroopers, one with an E-Web and an Imperial officer. Sprinkle in some officers here. You might need uh, try to find a, a slightly spicier officer than just the standard Imperial officer. Um, something something really cool could go in here. And the civilians, Imperial Informant stat block from the Dawn of Defiance, they, they start trying to take blows at you, too. There you go. There you go. Everyone's so, yeah. out to get you. And the, the purpose of, of amping up this encounter, not just to make it more memorable, not just to make it more of a challenge, but also to really push those players into that shuttle or into back into their, their fire spray, whichever it is. You know, I, 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 if I see three ATSTs, I'm getting in my fucking shuttle. Like, I'm not fucking around here. <laughs> if I see six stormtroopers, I'm like, oh, yeah, we can fuck these guys up. We got time to, to take these guys out before we go home. <laughs> yeah, let's loot their pockets, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got time. What are the idiots said more stormtroopers after us? <laughs> yeah. No, this is an encounter worthy of a CL-12 adventure. Uh, it's just absolute pandemonium. Throw in explosives. Be sure to adjust those loadouts. Use elite stormtrooper squads. Use ATSTs or any other big fatty vehicle you want. Use airstrikes from the TIE fighters. Make sure you've got officers. Push those guys into their escape vehicles. You know what I like, Stephen, about this that you've you've done here? What? Is you've really hammered home the goal of the encounter is to escape. Yes. It's not to win. It's not no. to take out three ATSTs barehanded. You no. know, you're it's to leave. <laughs> yes. And that the mission's done because you've got the mission done. Exactly. You've got the target. You know, it, it's now to get out alive is your primary concern. <laughs> and the party should understand that that's going to be difficult. Moff's birthday party on the core world, kidnapping his niece. It's time for ATSTs. I'm sorry. There's no what What time are you going to break out ATSTs if not this? You want to be a real. Hey, hey, come here. Get close. Well, don't let them hear you. You want you want to get real listener. You want to get real. ATAT, okay. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Who's oh gonna stop god. you? Who's gonna stop you? Bust out the ATAT. <laughs> Say it's just there. You know, maybe it's just maybe it's transporting construction goods, and it just happens to oh, be in the I area. Like that. Imperial dispatch says, "Hey, moth niece kidnap fire." <laughs> <laughs> I like that because then you don't have to worry about it. Doesn't have the stormtrooper squads aboard or anything like that. None of the speeders aboard. Yep. It's just like the empty. I love the empty frame. By the way, when you see them when they're transporting cargo, yeah, they're it's like cool. The cool little empty frame. It's just fucking guns. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's just two big ass guns. I love it. 
Well done, Stephen. Thanks for bringing that this week. Thanks. And, you know, we talked about how this encounter can be adjusted depending on their successes and failures earlier. Definitely crank up that dial. Maybe maybe you break out the ATAT if they fail those earlier encounters that are going to amp up security. That might be a good thing to do. Maybe you break out, depending on the area, maybe you break out a... Uh what are they called? The what are the black troopers from Fallen Order called? Oh, you mean the Death Troopers? Yeah, that's a really, really good idea, Sam. Oh yeah, Death Troopers are good. I was thinking about the ones that have the cool fucking swords and shit. The ones that have like the the vibro weapons and shit that you that like can deflect your. Uh... Oh, like Dark Troopers? Are those Dark Troopers? Those are Dark Troopers, right? I hate that the the term Dark Trooper has changed so much in the last few years of star wars Sam, canon. last few decades dark trooper has meant <laughs> different things pretty much no matter what what stage of star wars fan you were what what era but yeah some a death trooper or two yeah. would be cool phase here. three death trooper come on oh my god Fly, descending from the air on his jet packs you know blasting the, the missile launcher repeating blaster like come on the guy on his hip yeah <laughs> Or maybe a whole squad, a whole squad of Phase One stormtroopers. They love to sprint up with their little vibro blades and and make there your make your life hell. Come on, you've got options here. But it's time to pour out the the big imperial hardware, no matter what it is. Yeah, take the big bin of imperial toys and pour them out on the table. Just dump them until right the out. players start making sad faces, and then you pull back the at the last second. <laughs> That's how I run my games. <laughs> and um, uh, a <I'm> Mandalorian. <laughs> Steven. Hello, Sam. Do we have anything? We have some cool things to talk about. Oh, yes. A big shout out to American Psycho, our latest $5 patron. But he's not alone. They 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 do move in herds. Always uh, two there are. <laughs> Always two there are. Fuck, that's way better. Uh, Max R, our other $5 patron. Thank you guys both. What do they get for being $5 patrons, Steven? First of all, big thank you to the both of them. By joining our Patreon, they get a few things. Access to exclusive maps and supplements that Sam and I have produced ourselves. Should their patronage last three full months, they will receive an exclusive sticker at the $5 tier. And at the $10 tier, you they would receive a t-shirt and a sticker, both emblazoned with our beautiful D20 holocron. D20 cron? Yeah. What do we call that thing? D20 holocron's good. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I floated D20 Cron across the, the page once and it didn't, it didn't take. Didn't take? Well, right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Steven, they came in just under the wire for our Owen Casey Stevens donation this month. It's true. And it's actually still going on, listener. By the time you're listening to this, you still have time. Owen Casey Stevens is a veteran D20 RPG developer who has graced us by working on nearly every supplement for Swissy and is the lead designer for a little indie RPG you might know as Starfinder. Uh, Owen is a great guy who continues to be active to this day. He's actually facing down a lot of medical debt right now. So for the month of May, we decided to help him out. All Patreon revenue we receive will be going straight to Owen and be matched by yours truly. This will be a fully transparent process, as you've already heard. It'll all be on the Patreon screenshots, invoices, all that stuff. Receipts, we'll have it. You betcha. Uh, it's looking like right now, Sam, if if things hold now, if nothing changes. We'll yeah, be, if no one cancels last minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be, uh, after, after my matching, we'll be handing just under $250 to Owen, which uh, he said he is extremely grateful for. He's already asked us to, to please thank everyone uh, for him. 
So big thanks from Owen listener. You've got probably by the time you listen to this, depending on your time zone, uh, a few to maybe six hours to, to get on Patreon. And uh, if you come in under the wire before Pacific time, June 1st, uh, Hey, we'll count you. I'll match it. Heck yeah. When also, Hey, look, the fun doesn't stop there, Stephen. Owen's got those two great bundles that we're going to leave in the description as well. True. I forgot to talk about Owen's preferred method of, of receiving help. Owen's got Ko-Fi. Owen's got Patreon. But what he really would love is that if you bought one of his two RPG bundles at $35 each, they've each been valued at over $700. They're just a massive pantheon of supplements ranging across D&D of various editions pathfinder starfinder and beyond and and even sam there's quite a bit of system agnostic stuff in there too amen amen all praise be to the system agnos Ooh, that that sounds cool (laughs) thank you let's get you guys back to the show we've done enough preaching today to to the lord agnos (laughs) okay steven we have a stat block that you brought today, but it's not your stat block. No, it's not. It's actually a, a Chell Walker original. We were chatting on on the Swissy Discord as we often do. We were talking about Knife Guys, a infamously underpowered, but still something about them, just attractive, uh, elusive build for, for Swissy. Uh, not at all a great option if you like uh, big numbers, uh, but hey, I happen to just like Knife Guys for the style, for the uh, je, je sais quoi. That's uh, that's not his name, but okay. <laughs> so, We're more concept gamers than we are number gamers here at the Dark Times podcast. It's true. What's this character's name, Stephen? This is Knife Throne. <laughs> what an incredible, what an incredible, just, ah. Oh, I, an, I chose the step name. block because, yeah, I chose the step block because it was relevant to discussions we had recently had, both on and off mic, and the name is a fucking riot. <laughs> And we're going to link to the stat block on the wiki in the description. It's kind of, I was kind of having trouble finding it by just like searching on the wiki. It's one of those things. It's one of those like, you. so I don't even know how to do it, but you can have personal pages on wiki that are like fully formatted wiki pages, but they're like under your profile and generally can only be directly linked to, I, I think. So it's cool. You can't search we'll this on the it. wiki, but it's on the wiki and, and we'll get we'll get you the link so you can see it for yourself. Yeah, we, we smuggled this one over Imperial Lines for you guys. <laughs> uh, Knife from is a medium Kodru G scoundrel five. The Kodru G, Stephen, we haven't had the pleasure of discussing them on the podcast in detail. No, we haven't, which I'm a little surprised about, uh, at least mechanics wise. The art on the wiki reminds me of Oban Star Racers. Do you remember that show? I don't. What is that? I'm going to look that up right now. It's like a, if, if I had to describe it, it's like French Canadian. Oh anime. my God, Sam. Yes. <laughs> it's French Canadian anime where they drive Sam. pod racers. That's the whole premise of the show. This was one of those things that like I saw as a kid for a bit, loved and was like a little obsessed with, but could not remember what it was. Holy fuck. I'm like, I'm going to watch this now. I miss this shit. This shit. I thought so. And also in my little child brain, I also thought this was Hamtaro. Like I thought Hamtaro <laughs> was an Oban character, which also That's made great. it hard to find. You heard it here first in the Dark Times podcast, people. We're bringing, we're reuniting families. <laughs> Fucking for real. Yeah, this is, this is one of them like French Canadian anime inspired things. 
Oh, it's so good. Yeah. So the Kodru G, other than looking like cool anime characters, they get the bonus feat dual weapon mastery. As long as they meet the prerequisite of the feat, which is a minimum dex of 13 and a base attack bonus of plus one. Pretty easy to get a level one. Uh, Kodru G also have extra arms. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, Stephen, they have extra arms. I, I did notice two. that. It was one of the first things I noticed, actually. They can hold up to four items or weapons at a time because of their extra arms. Uh, it does not, however, grant extra attacks, but it means they can wield two two-handed weapons at a time. Think Pong Krell, you know, like Pong Krell. I, 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 I Pong went Krell? to school with Pong. <laughs> yeah, he's not a good guy, Steve. Remember no, he not. turned the, the troopers against each other for shits and giggles, I guess? I don't remember the, the motivation behind that episode. It was fucked up, though. <laughs> Let's talk about dual weapon mastery one, Steven. When you attack with two weapons or with both ends of a double weapon as part of a full attack action, you take a minus five penalty instead of a minus 10 penalty on all attack rules until the start of your next turn. This also includes attacks of opportunity you make between those points. You only gain this reduced penalty if you are wielding a weapon with which you are proficient. In this case, it's going to be knives because they're simple weapons. Pretty much everyone's proficient with those. Knife Roam also has double attack simple weapons. Choose a single exotic weapon or weapon group with which you are proficient. When you use the full attack action, you may make one additional attack when you're wielding such a weapon. However, you take a minus five penalty on all attack rolls until your next turn because you're trading precision for speed. Now hear me out, Steven. Hmm. So let's, let's look at the math here. Ignore the extra arms. We've, we've got it. Don't worry about it. Don't think about it. A full attack action lets you attack once with each weapon in your hand. And I'm, I assume that implies because you don't get extra attacks from multiple arms. So it's just the two. Yeah. Double attack gives you an additional attack. If I'm understanding this right, Stephen, we're looking at actually three attacks for a full round action, but at minus 10 for each attack. I believe that's, that's the case. Yes. So it's minus 10 initially, reduced to minus 5 for dual weapon mastery, and then uh, brought back down to minus 10 for double attack. Isn't it? It, it should really just be called extra attack. <laughs> you yeah, know? Like, it, it is confusing that double attack can grant you three attacks total. Uh, it, it should be called <laughs> extra attack, definitely. Yeah, that's one thing we would change in the, <laughs> in the Swissy Ledger. Uh, with weapon finesse and weapon focus, however, knife attacks at only a minus two with three knives and at a plus three with two knives, which is not bad for a CL. What is a CL five for a CL five character? That's incredible. Very good. Sneak attack and improved sneak attack. Now, people like to sleep on sneak attack, Stephen, but I think it's it's got its place in the world. That's for sure. Uh, anytime your opponent is flat-footed or otherwise denied its de dexterity bonus to reflex defense, you deal an additional 1d6 points of damage with a successful melee or ranged attack. You must be within six squares of the target to make a sneak attack with a ranged weapon. Improved increases this to 12 squares. I know what you're thinking. Why does the range matter if I'm only wielding knives? Well, you simple, weak-minded fool. You can throw <laughs> knives. Yes, Stephen, they're throwable objects. And with the Electro Grapple Handle upgrade, you can recall them too, like some sort of some cool force wizard or some so, shit. So did Rodney sneak this into the game when we weren't looking? Because I did not know about the Electro Grapple Handle yeah, at all. I, I feel duped. It's a Mandela effect. Um, a Mandela effect. He's actually one of the Jedi masters that <laughs> oh, you don't course, see from the council. Course. His seat's always empty <laughs> or maybe it was never empty. It's hard to remember. <laughs> wow. Aren't you clever? Thank you. Steven, what is the electro grapple handle other than sounding cool? What is it? Well, Sam, let me just pull up the wiki page right here. Got it right here for you. Oh, thank you. It's 1000 credits. 
will take your one upgrade point. It's licensed in case you have to do zero G plumbing. Yeah. So if you drop your wrench, you know, you can just recall it right back to you. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Okay. <laughs> An electro grapple handle is a magnetized section of equipment designed to fly toward a specially attuned grapple gauntlet. The cost of which is included in the upgrade cost. Free glove. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, free glove! <laughs> a piece of equipment. You know the ads on like fucking Narshada in the billboard to be like comes with free grapple glove, even though it doesn't work without it. You get the you get the glove, and it's just like it's just fucking Velcro. <laughs> a piece of equipment with an electro grapple handle can be retrieved by a character wearing the attuned grapple gauntlet as a move action out to a range of six squares. If the equipment is held or strapped down, the grapple gauntlet allows a strength check with a bonus of plus five to rip it free. This is used as an opposed strength check to remove it from someone holding it or against the break DC of the straps restraining it. This is most often used as a weapon. This allows the character to throw a weapon down to prove they're disarmed, only to retrieve it at range when trouble starts. That is pretty scummy. Fucking stupid Jedi just do that already, you know, like... (laughs) They already do that shit. Anakin and fucking Obi-Wan were like, oh, here's our lightsabers, Grievous. And then like five seconds later, they're like, ah, just kidding. (laughs) We're going to crash this ship now. (laughs) That is Revenge of the Sith, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Steven, I love this build. Knife, throw him. Honestly, I... Incredible, incredible build. Thank, it's fun. Good, great job, Shell Walker. Absolutely. And, you know, it'd be really fun to bust out on your players just to just to fuck with them. Um, this is like the random ass. This is like one of those random ass bounty hunters you send at your players for no yeah, reason. Yeah, this would be like the second bounty hunter I'd send after my players. <laughs> That's great. That's because the first guy is just like a dude with a gun, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to have dude with a gun, like soldier three dude with a gun. And oh, then Steven. I didn't write this down, but let me mention it. Knife Throne has 12 knives. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, that Just makes in sense. Just case four wasn't enough. <laughs> that does make sense. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> well, all right, Sam, I, I think it's time we mentioned the Pathfinder build bounty showcase is still underway. What's that about? You have until Sunday, June 4th to submit a level 12 character with at least one level in the Pathfinder Prestige class. This is not about the RPG from Paizo of the same name, though we do love that one. Uh, The Pathfinder Prestige class is your super scout. They are a mobile survivalist combatant who can make the most of their surroundings and provide protection uh, for their allies and true danger for their enemies by manipulating areas of the battlefield. It's an often overlooked prestige class, if you ask me. Uh, So please come out and shine. Level 12, one level of uh, Pathfinder in our inboxes, darktimesswse at gmail.com, no later than 11.59 p.m. Pacific time, June the 4th, Sunday night. June the 4th be with you, Stephen. June the 4th be with you, Sam. Thank you. Stephen, do you have any trivia for us this week? I do. A 10-year-old Han Solo was going to appear during the Battle of Kashyyyk as an orphan being raised by Chewbacca. He would have helped locate General Grievous by finding part of a transmitter droid that was sending signals from Utapau, allowing Obi-Wan to find and confront the villain. I, You know what? George Lucas really plays Calvin Ball with this lore, doesn't he? He really fucking does, man. <laughs> Raised by Wookiees is a great concept for a character, though. It is. That, like, so do, do a Tarzan thing? That would be sick. 
I wasn't even thinking that. I love that also. <laughs> oh man. Like he just wears like a big shaggy coat and he's got a Rick blade and a <laughs> and a bowcaster. I always knew I was different. Come on. Just getting like a like a five year old getting picked up by Wookies and like placed on their back. <laughs> What's the song from Tarzan? Trees. <laughs> Straight. Wait. Uh. Uh. Um. Uh. Two worlds, one family. That one. Oh yeah, that that is what I was thinking of. Yeah. Nice. Thanks, Phil Collins. <laughs> <laughs> the Dark Times is produced and edited by me, Sam Stevens, my co-host. You can reach out to us on Twitter at Dark Times SWSE or email us Dark Times SWSE at gmail.com Review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your shows. Tell someone about the show. Tell us you told them about the show. Tell your table about the show, and we'll shout you all out on the show. Steven, do you have a quote for us this week? He's too dangerous to be left alive. even about every single one of my characters that I bring to... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have killed more of your characters than anyone else's. That That is true. Well, you know, maybe if I started seeing other GMs more often, they'd get a chance to kill my characters, too. God. <laughs> Good night, everybody! Bwomp, 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 bwomp. Ba, 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 ba.